This week, part 10. Part 10 in our series, God's Plan for God's People. Up until now, it's been a lot of what is God doing? What is his plan? I put this chart up here. This isn't every single passage we've studied, but this will get you the general feel, the general flow of where we've been. We started clear back at creation, uh, worked in a Genesis to the time after the flood, and then to Abraham. And in those places, we see that God's uh, purpose was uh, to multiply and fill the earth, multiply and fill the earth. Uh, that was the purpose. And in Abraham, the, the purpose was that all peoples on earth, all families, would be blessed. That was the, the goal. Psalm 67, back in July. God's glory, where? For all nations. Isaiah 49, a servant. A specific person who would come. We believe he is Jesus. Prophesied in Isaiah. For what? A light for what? For Israel? Yes. But for all nations. Last couple of weeks, uh, Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations. Do you see the pattern? Do you see the result of what God wanted in these time frames? For his glory to fill the earth and for his people, his creation, the nation of Israel and eventually all nations, to fill the earth with God's glory. What is God's plan for God's people? to fill the earth with his glory. And up until now, up until today, uh, we have probably felt a little bit of the purpose. Here it is. It's kind of re been repetitious. Maybe you're sitting there going, all right, I want to learn more. Okay, well, part of that is the, the group opportunities that we're going to have. You can still fill that out in your bulletin, and you can still drop it in the offering box or hand it to me. We are working with a group of people who are responding and want to be a part of groups. If that's you, either in person or online, please let me know. We'll be starting those uh, within a few weeks. That's the purpose. We want to learn more. We want to learn how. But today... Acts 17, I wasn't originally planning to do this, but a few weeks ago, I thought to myself, man, it'd be really good to get some of the specifics of how the kingdom began to be built. The book of Acts is full of the obedience of the apostles in fulfilling Matthew 28, go and make disciples, in fulfilling Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so uh, this is Acts 17. Uh, if you have a head in your Bible, you know exactly where they are. They're in Thessalonica. And I want to show you uh, some of the elements today of what happens when the kingdom begins to be built. The first thing that, that generally happens is if uh, you know there are lost people somewhere, you go and, and it is your desire to fill the earth with God's glory. It's God's plan for God's people. And you say, I'm in. I want the Spirit to use me. Then you're going to enter a harvest field. You're going to go somewhere. This is all over the New Testament. Jesus did this in his ministry. He went from town to town to preach and to share the good news, to heal, do miracles, to draw attention to the fact that he was the Son of God. His movement, his prayer, his training of the disciples, it had intentionality in this direction. So here in Acts 17, as we see the apostles begin to obey the Great Commission, where'd they go? They went to the synagogue. Verse 2, and Paul went in, as was his custom. The synagogue was a pretty common place that they would go to begin to stir the conversation about who Jesus was. 
One of the things I would encourage you, if you're asking yourself, what can I do to enter a field where there are lost people who may be ripe for the harvest and ready to believe if someone would share the faith with them, is I would encourage you to begin to pray specifically for the people who are around you. We are most effective in sharing our faith with people who are closest to us. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy. The people who are closest to us are also sometimes the hardest because we have to go to them and we have to be intentional and we have to make a time and we say, this is important to me. We have to risk maybe that relationship or their perception of us and we have to be loving and say, this is what I believe and I want you to believe this and here's why. And so I will do that. But that's one of the ways that I would challenge you uh, to do that. I'm going to talk about another one a little bit later today. But I want you to begin to think about what it looks like for you as a believer in Jesus Christ to enter into the harvest field. Okay, uh, so that's, that's what it looks like. They, they go in, they went in in Acts chapter 17, they went to the synagogue, it was something they commonly did. Now, there's also in, in this, uh, that there is a gospel content and proclamation. <clears throat> he reasoned with them from the scriptures for three Sabbath days, so he's there three weeks, explaining and proving it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. There's the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's the message for our sins. It was necessary for him to suffer. This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. He's in the Jewish synagogue. He's convincing the believers that he is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He's the one that God prophesied about. It's when the kingdom is being built, gospel content, gospel proclamation has to be a part of it. We can't just say that we go to church. Hey, come to ours. We can't just say, hey, I got saved way back when. We can't just say that we believe in God and give a few reasons why, although all those things will certainly be part of our conversations. Jesus didn't die for those things. For us to use general language about what he did. Paul is not using general language when he goes into the synagogue. We want to say Jesus died for a purpose, and it is to rescue our wretched souls from death and eternal hell that we deserve. He rose from the dead to prove that he has authority over our sin and over our death and to fill us with new life and purpose. It's such a distinct, it's such a powerful message that when we go into a new field, we want to make it clear to the people who Jesus is and how he can change our lives. Not just general spiritual language. We want to eventually be able to specifically talk about Jesus. So we desire the Holy Spirit to empower our witness. We believe that repenting of sin and fully trusting Jesus is the only way to establish a right relationship with God. And it's under the authority of Jesus. It is His kingdom. Look here in Mark 1, 14 and 15. This is a great example of how Jesus did this. Uh, after John uh, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee uh, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Those are some of the first words out of Jesus' mouth in the New Testament. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. How exciting is that? We're invited into the kingdom with Jesus the king as our authority. He wants us to repent 
and believe. This is the type of language that Jesus used. It's the type of language his uh, apostles used as they began to fulfill the Great Commission. It's the same type of language he wants us to use in sharing our faith. Okay, another element is a person of peace. Acts 1, verse 8. The promise was, you will be filled with power. You will be my witnesses. It's a command. It's also a prophecy. I wanted to encourage you last week that it will work. When we go and when we share our faith and when we pray and we say, Lord, fill us up and use us. I'm going to go and talk to my friend or I'm going to go and talk to some people on my street or I'm going to go talk to whoever I meet. There, there will be people who are responsive. I want to encourage you with this. Does it mean you're never going to get rejected? No. We're going to talk about rejection here in a minute. That's going to happen. But I want to start, first of all, by showing you it will work. When Jesus trained his own disciples to go out, he talked about a person of peace. Or in the ESV it says, a son of peace. If, if one is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. The disciples in Luke 10 were sent out looking for a peaceful place to be. Someone who was ready for their message. Someone they could train or invest in as part of their ministry. Jesus sent them out fully trusting that they would have people who didn't want anything to do with them, but, but trusting that there would be people of peace. So in Acts chapter 17, who is the person of peace? There's a character who kept coming up here. Clearly, this Jason guy is a person of peace. They ended up at the house of Jason. They had to have known that's where the disciples were staying. He is a person of peace. He's fully aligned with Paul and the mission. He had to be very much a God-fearing man ready to accept the gospel. A person of peace. Sounds a lot like Luke chapter 10. That in Thessalonica for those three weeks, God did a work in Jason's heart when he heard the gospel and he brought him right in line through his belief with what Paul was doing. Stay tuned. More on Jason, the person of peace, to come. But it's part of going out. If this feels a little bit like class right now, it is. These are just great lessons. We're just taking this story and we're learning the type of things that happen when we go out and we share our faith. We will enter a harvest field. We will go and proclaim content about who Jesus is and how he's changed our lives. By God's grace and his sovereignty, he will lead us to people of peace as we go and do this work. We will also face Persecution. I want to talk generally about this for a minute. Uh, one example would be from Paul. Uh, this is 2 Timothy. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Matthew 5, 10 and 12, look at this. Uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'll let this sink in just for a little bit. It's very, very challenging. Let's think about this 
in our context for a moment. Let's think about this in the United States. I opened the sermon last week and, and said, hey, if there's no more America, how does your view of the Christian faith change? And so today, as we think about persecution, the challenge becomes what happens if we as believers in the United States become more and more persecuted for the things that we believe, what happens. What if you're learning to share the gospel and you're excited to go out and obey Jesus and things get difficult or Satan comes against you or brings interference? I want to share personally for a moment. God is really challenging and shaping this reality in me. I will confess at times, I have been so annoyed by Satan's work in, in, in ministry efforts that sometimes I just get annoyed and I want it to go away or I miss it. I don't respond sometimes in a, a spiritual manner. I just, sometimes I just try to bury my head and, and forget about it. Instead of realizing that this is something that we should expect, what if this afternoon the Spirit of God grabbed you and you decided to go on a walk in your neighborhood, and you say, I'm gonna, Lord, I'm going to go, and I'm going to try to share with Jesus. And what if this happened in Acts 17? What if people lied about what you did, or the things that you said, and they came against you, and they called the cops, and they had to get the authorities involved? It's exactly what's going on in, in Acts 17. What if this happened to you here? Many believers in Western culture and in the United States, would believe if something like that happened to us that something is actually wrong with us. We are not conditioned to think about persecution as a reality. We have enjoyed blessing for so long where there has been so little persecution in the United States that we see it as an anomaly. We can't, we can't come to grips with it. But when we get to Scripture, we see Jesus' words, we see Paul's words, we see over and over the apostles' experience in Acts, and we know of the, the experiences of church in other places in the world where there isn't as much freedom as there here is here in the U.S. We know that persecution is a reality. Instead, we should condition ourselves to think that something is right when this sort of thing happens, not that something is wrong. Not that you go out and ask for persecution and go be an idiot and get arrested so you can scream, hey, they're persecuting me as they drag you into the police car. No, that's not persecution. That's being an idiot. All right? Persecution isn't somebody coming against you trying to correct you in love either or to hold you accountable for your behavior. Those are godly things that happen. We have to define what persecution is. It's persecution for my belief in Jesus Christ, somebody coming against me. When I was little before everybody had a device they could, you know, stare at and put some headphones in and go off into their own world in a car, uh, we were, only, only thing we had was the car radio, right? And for some of you who are older, you're going to know what I'm talking about. You get on this station, if you're on a road trip, and you're like, oh, this is a great station. It's coming in nice and clear. We really like the music. But eventually what happens? You get interference. It starts to go staticky because you get out of the range of the... That's what happens. I think this is the way that, that our lives are going to be if we're very serious about God's plan for God's people. We may be going along great 
at times and, and the signal is real powerful and everything's coming in and things are working and people are getting saved and baptized. Hey, glory to God. But there's going to be some times where there's some interference. And, and it just starts to get a little bit of haywire. We have, to, we have to be willing to expect that. Last today, we'll keep it moving. Finally, people. Verse 8, the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And they had, again, they had lied. Jason has received the disciples. Verse 7, they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Accused Jesus of that. It was part of the grounds for killing him in the first place. Pitting the kingdom of God, our participation in that, against participation in an earthly kingdom. Uh, obviously, we believe the Bible resolves those things. We don't have to forsake our value as citizens of a country in order to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. But sometimes those values do compete. So sometimes uh, as we clarify those values in our lives, people will be afraid. And they'll be concerned that we are so excited about the kingdom of God. They'll come against us. They took money as security from Jason and the rest. Eventually they let them go, but the authorities had to get involved. The whole thing was a big ruckus. That's what happens sometimes when, people, when there is fear. There's also fruit. I want to end today by encouraging you. I don't want you to get rattled. I don't want you to be fearful in hearing about the reality of people being afraid of the message or responding in fear when you get excited about sharing Jesus, that's going to happen. I want you to be encouraged to know that there is fruit. There are some people in their lives who bear fruit. Some of the things that uh, we've been learning in training so far at our church and some of the things that we will continue to learn, uh, I got to go yesterday and I got to see in person as another church began to learn some of the same things. And I want to tell you a couple of stories about what happened. I, am, I will tell you, I am not super comfortable just going out and talking to strangers about Jesus. Uh, I will do it. I have seen great things happen <laughs> when I have done it, but I am, I'm not super comfortable with it. I'm willing to walk in obedience and do it. And so I got partnered up with a guy that I had never met, and he was nervous. He hadn't done it in a while. And so we just start walking up and down the street, and we're knocking on doors. And for about 40 minutes... Uh, people just, all we're doing to start is saying, hey, can we pray for you? It's not like, hey, we're going to just shove Jesus right in the door. We're going to just say, hey, we're out trying to bless people, trying to pray with people. And for about 40 minutes of the hour we had, we either had people who opened the blind and didn't come to the door, ran away, were in the, on the porch and ran inside, or opened the door. Uh, we asked them if we could pray for them, and they slammed it and went back inside. That sounded exciting. That sounded exciting. I was like, man, I didn't realize I was looking that scary today. I, you know, put a bigger mask on or something. <laughs> I don't know. Felt pretty discouraged, but I kept telling this guy, I said, if God's got something for us, he's got something for us. We end up on the porch of a guy, and uh, he is looking at his phone. He's doing this, and I'm going, okay, what's this going to be about? Well, he starts talking with us. He says, yeah, sure, you can pray for me. He goes, uh, my girlfriend just died a couple weeks ago. It was terrible. I said, oh, man. So here we are. We're in this place uh, at the right place at the right time. And he says, hey, would you mind uh, if, if my brother joins? He had his brother on a video call. His brother was in Greece. And I'm like, all we did was walk up, and, and here we are having an international experience. And so we got to pray for this guy, 
and the guy that I was with, he, he lives locally where the training was happening. And he's going to be able to go back and he's going to be able to, to reach out to this gentleman and comfort him. He said, hey, come by and see me anytime I'm on my porch. Let me finish up my call. I said, that's incredible. Well, uh, after that, we had one, one more stop that we made. We were able to talk to a guy who was going to be a senior in college. And he was very, very open to our message, to what we were saying. We were able to share uh, the gospel completely with him and to get him to think about uh, his role uh, in the kingdom of God and making disciples, and it was awesome. So again, this guy that went with me has two people now that he can go back and he can encourage. I want to tell you one more story from the group that went out yesterday. I think there were about 40 people that went out. And uh, one of the, the groups um, didn't plan on this. Again, we're just going out praying for people, and they had prayed with this family, and they were on their way out, and here's this guy who's related to the people they had just prayed with. I'm, this is a secondhand story. I wasn't involved in this. But they go out and they, they talk to this guy who looks really dejected. The way they described it is he was very down. He was having a bad day and he wasn't going to let us cheat him out of it. <laughs> right? And so they're like, hey, can we pray for you? It looks like you're upset. So they just called it out and said, it looks like you're upset. Can we pray for you? And he, he says, yeah. Yeah, you can pray that my wife will come back. We had a baby a few weeks ago and she split. That's what he said. He was very upset. So they, uh, they're like okay, well, we can't fix your problem, sir, but we'll be glad to pray for you. So they pray this blessing over this guy that God would help him and that, that things with his spouse would get, get resolved. They get done praying. Who comes driving up? The wife. It's probably one of those ideas where your eyes get, like, really big, like this just happened right now, and they said, clearly... You have a situation that you're going to get involved with and deal with, but, uh, and the one guy, here's what he said. <laughs> he says, sir, I am not a prophet, but it is clear that God is doing something in your life. I'm going to challenge you to recognize that <laughs> and respond. What an amazing story. Just going out, that God can bear fruit, open up doors. There were a number of people who prayed to receive Christ for the very first time, just because some people arrived on their property on the right day. God had all that. I, I want you in our world where everything is focused on fear and what might go wrong and how many people are against us. I want us to begin to focus on what will go right. I want us to remember Acts 1-8 and the promises that God will empower us with his spirit and that he will use us as his witnesses to the ends of the earth wherever he goes and wherever he leads us. I share this because it contains so many elements. We could just teach a quick class and a, and a sermon today, and I hope that what happens is that God is stirring your hearts to think about, how can I take some basic steps to, to be obedient? How could I do that? I hope that's the best question you could take, is how can I begin to obey? That's the best question you could ask, best way to respond. We have different opportunities, different ways to train. Uh, the response is there in our bulletin. If you're watching online, you want to get a part of a group, uh, please give us a call. Please email us or message us on our Goss Church account. We'll be glad to make sure you're included. Some of the groups we're doing can be done online. No problem with that. Our summary for today. Oh, wait, I forgot about this. Romans 16. Before we get to the summary, at 21... This is later on in Paul's ministry. Romans is, is one, of the, um, a, one of the epistles, the letters that Paul wrote uh, later on in his ministry. 
And look who he mentions. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason. In a three-week stay in Thessalonica, Jason comes to Christ, aligns with the purpose of Paul, is willing to be persecuted, hosts the believers, and makes the list of Paul's team much later in his career. Do we think God can do that in people? Save people from their sin radically? Challenge and transform their life in a way that gets them moving and going in a way that only God can do? I hope we believe that, friends. That's God's plan for God's people. I want to see those kind of things happen. And more and more God is stirring in my heart that he really can use me, that he really can use us to be a part of this kind of work. Jason was a fruit bearer in the ministry, the early New Testament church for the kingdom of God. Who might that be in this room? Who might that be in our neighborhoods? Our summary today, God empowers people, people walk in great faith, and God bears the fruit. Doesn't mean it won't be difficult. Doesn't mean people won't come against us. Doesn't mean any of that. It means that God will do it. He wants us to take those steps to obey and to be challenged. I hope you're challenged. I hope you're excited. I hope the Spirit is churning in all of us.